St. Warburg's Derby. Um, good morning. Just as they were putting this mic on, I feel like I'm in a Britney Spears video. Which I will not break out into Hippie Baby one more time. No, I won't. Um, <clears throat> welcome this morning. So yeah, as Andy said earlier, I'm going to be speaking about the book of Esther this morning. We've been doing Old Testament characters, and it's my turn to do the book of Esther. And before I'm going to give my talk, I'd really love to tell the story in under five minutes. It's nine chapters long, but I'd love for you to be able to know it, because you might have heard it before, or you might not remember the story, or to be honest, you just love listening to a good old story. Um, So could my volunteers please come forwards? That would be really great. Thanks so much. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background of the book of Esther, um, it's set after the Israelites have gone into exile. So it means they're now dispersed throughout different lands, and this particular book is set in Persia. So I'm going to try and do it as quick as possible. Try and stay with me. Hopefully it makes sense. Okay, who's what? Great. Okay, so we have the king of Persia, and right at the beginning of Esther, he's just, he's divorced his wife, and he's looking for a new wife, and he does a beautiful beauty contest, read between the lines on that one, he does a beauty contest in order to look for a new queen. Esther is a very beautiful person in the land of Persia, Um, and she is found to win this beauty contest and becomes the queen of Persia. Mordecai, now he is Esther's cousin, but is also a guardian to Esther because her parents died when she was younger and he oversees Esther. And Mordecai and Esther are Jews. Side plot, Mordecai uncovers a, um, <laughs> uncovers a plot to kill the king. And he tells Esther who tells the king and so the king doesn't die. That's a side plot. We'll come back to that. Then we've got Haman. He's our villain. If this was a pantomime, yes, thank you. Yes. He's our villain. And basically, what you need to know about him, he's a high official in the king's palace. And he's got a bit too big for his boots, and he wants everyone to bow down to him. And Mordecai, who's one of the royal officials, says, no, I'm not going to bow down to you. And then Haman's like, I really don't like that guy. Um, So because he really doesn't like him, he wants to kill him. But because he really, really doesn't like him, he wants to kill all of the Jews in the land. So that's the basis of our story. So in steps Mordecai talking to Esther and says, Esther, you're the queen now. You've got to go to the king and you've got to tell him he can't kill all the Jews. And she says, I'm actually a bit afraid to do that. He he kind of scares me, the king. And he says, well, maybe you're here for such a time as this. And maybe you should go and tell the king to save your people. And she says, well, I'm not going to do that without a three-day fast first. And she fasts for three days, and then she says, if I perish, I perish. And she goes before the king, and amazingly, the king says, hey, Esther, come forwards. I'll give you anything up to half of the kingdom. And Esther, probably shocked, goes, "Um, yeah, I'd love to have food with you and Haman this evening for a banquet. And he says, great. So Haman and Esther and the king have a banquet together in the evening. So again, the king says to Esther at this banquet, he says, Esther, what would you like? I'll give, up to, I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. And Esther, probably shocked again, because she says, um, tomorrow night, another banquet, because it's great. And Haman and the king really love food, so they said yes. And what you need to know now is the next 24 hours, there are three things that happen that are kind of getting to the end of the story. So Haman has another run-in with 
Mordecai, and Mordecai again says, I'm not going to bow down to you, Haman. Haman gets really angry and in his rage builds a 75-foot gallows in order to get rid of Mordecai. Then that evening, the king, he just can't sleep. He's just really struggling to sleep. And you know, like we all do when we can't sleep, we maybe read and he says to someone, can you go and fetch me a book all about me? So (laughs) he goes and fetches this book that is all about himself. And in this book, he uncovers the side plot that was when Mordecai said he saved the king's life. And the king says, did I ever honor this man who saved my life? And someone says, no, you didn't. And he's like, well, I need to do something about that. So the next morning, he says to Haman, Haman, what would you do for someone who you wanted to honor? What can I do for someone I wanted to honor? Haman, at this point, His head is can't get through the door, and he thinks it's about him. So he's like, "Well, if it was me, I'd put a royal, I'd put put robe on him, and I'd put him on the horse, the royal horse, and I'd parade him round the town, saying, this is the man I want to honour.'" It's not about Haman, and the king says, actually, this is about Mordecai, so could you go and do that for him? Haman probably has to swallow his own pride at that point, and he goes and does this for Mordecai. So those are the things that have happened, and it's bringing us to this point, which is the final banquet between Esther, the king, and Haman. And at this um, particular banquet, the king again says to Esther, Esther, what would you like? I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. And this time, Esther says to the king, Well, normally I wouldn't come to you if it was just that our people were sold into slavery, but I'm coming to you because our people have been sold into destruction. And actually, I'm pleading with you to save the Jews' life. And the king says this time, who would do such a thing? Who would, like, sell you into destruction? If this was a pantomime, you might say... He's behind you. Um, he's behind you because it's, it's Haman. So she turns and she said, it's actually Haman that's done this to us. The king gets really angry and he says, Haman, how could you do this? I'm going to kill you. To which somebody else says, oh, Haman built a 75-foot gallows in order to kill Mordecai. You might as well use it. Might as well, you don't want it to go to waste. And so Mordecai is saved and it's in fact Haman that is killed on the 75-foot gallows instead of Mordecai. Sorry, Haman. I'm so sorry. Wow, brutal. Um, So, and then the king, in true Disney style, in the end of the movie, the king says to Esther, of course, I'm not going to kill all your people. And in fact, there's celebrations throughout the land. And there's now actually a festival in her honor. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you, Matt, for your beautiful (laughs) rendition of Esther. (laughs) You may, you may, you can sit now. That's okay. Um... So as I told that story at the front, you may have noticed there was a character up there with us that just didn't get a mention. God doesn't get a mention. And that's because in the book of Esther, God is not referenced at all. He's not referenced once in the book of Esther. So you might ask yourself, why is that book even in the Bible then? Because this book is meant to be all about God. So why in this book of Esther is he not referenced? You might even go as far to ask the question as I do, is like, is God even involved then? If he's not mentioned, is he even involved? And I think that the writer of this story chose not to mention God because sometimes it's only in hindsight when we look back at a situation that it becomes more obvious that God has been at work. 
It's only by reading this story and asking that question, is God involved, when we look more closely, that perhaps what we see as mere coincidences might actually be, in fact, God at work orchestrating things behind the scenes. So, you know, Esther, who was a Jew, just happened to win this beauty contest in order to become queen in the palace, which then the Jews suddenly are becoming under persecution. And Mordecai uncovers a side plot to kill the king. And then the king just happens then to be, can't sleep, and reads a book all about himself in order to find this side plot at just the right moment. Esther just happens to find favor with the king at just the right moment. It's all these perfectly orchestrated moments that if we look more clearly, could be God. But it's only in hindsight when we ask that question, is God involved, that we start to see that he is in the background revealing his faithfulness when we look more clearly. But that's with us knowing the full story. We can see the full story. We can read it from beginning to end. For Esther and Mordecai, they're in the midst of persecution. They're in the eye of the storm. And they're, to what we can read, not hearing from God, not seeing God. So maybe this writer is trying to give us a glimpse of what it might be like to face a silent God in the midst of a storm. Perhaps that's how Esther felt. Perhaps she felt, where is God in this moment? Because he's not speaking to me. So the thing I want to draw from this story is, what can we learn from Esther in the face of what appears to be a silent God? We know that he's orchestrating in the background, and we can see that in our lives when we look back. But day to day, what does it look like for us when sometimes it appears that God's been silent? So while on the surface, Esther steps towards the king, and she steps out in faith, it looks like blind faith. But actually, when you look a bit deeper, it's actually rooted in God's promises and his truth. So um, there's this bit in chapter 4, and we read this interaction between uh, Mordecai and Esther. Haman's just declared that he's going to kill all the Jews. Mordecai is asking Esther to plead with the king, but she's afraid. And then Mordecai says this to her. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. The famous line from Esther is that last one there. Perhaps you've been put here for such a time as this. And when I was saying at the beginning about um, looking into the background, maybe that's what Mordecai is doing. He's looking into the background and saying, maybe you're here, Esther. Maybe God's doing something in the background and maybe you're here for such a time as this. But although that's the famous line, that's not the line I particularly want to look at. The line is this. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. It seems to me that Mordecai is absolutely convinced that God is going to come through for him and Esther and the Jews. Why? You know, in this book, we're not seeing God referenced. God's not said that. So why is he so convinced that the Jews will um, be set free? And I think that's because he's resting on promises that were made previously. You know, time and time again before this book, we see God deliver the Jews from persecution. He says to them over and over again, you are a blessed nation. Perhaps he's standing on those promises that were said before. But I also think he's resting on a promise and a prophecy that was made about 200 years previously to Esther. So if you um, look at the book of Jeremiah... 
Um, he's basically telling people before, the Israelites, before they go into exile, that this is going to happen. But he's also prophesying for when they will come out of exile as well. And there was a prophecy made 200 years before this that we actually all know probably, and we've probably spoken ourselves, and we've spoken over other people. And the title of the chapter in which we find this prophecy is called A Letter to the Exiles. And maybe Mordecai is actually standing on this. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Mordecai is standing on that promise that God will save them. And he's saying to Esther, perhaps this is it. Maybe this is the moment. Perhaps we're here for such a time as this. Because he's standing on the promise of what God said before. Sometimes when we're facing what appears to be silence and appears to be that God's not speaking, it's because he's already spoken. And I'll say that with this in my hand. When sometimes when God's not speaking and we think that he's been silent, it's because sometimes we need to look a bit further and it's because he has already spoken. This Bible is full of God's faithfulness and his promises and his truth. And it just means that when we're going through a troubled time or in chaos or the eye of the storm like Esther and Mordecai, we can stand on this. When our eyes stop to dip from God and doubt steps in and we ask that question, is God even involved here? We know that we can stand on the word and we can look in these pages and see a God who has spoken so much over your life already. It means you can anchor yourself back into God in the face of trouble when you think that he's not speaking. Esther not only stands on these promises, but she also puts them into action. So if you go back to the prophecy, um, this promise that God said, he said, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. The first thing Esther does before going before the king is she prays. Well, it actually says she fasted, but I'm going to allude to the fact that they prayed and fasted for three days. I'm putting a word in there that's actually not there, but (laughs) I'd like to believe that they fasted and prayed for three days. And then at the end of those three days, as far as we're aware, God still doesn't speak. As far as we know, there's still absolutely pure silence. And actually, Esther says, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to trust and stand on the promises that God said before me, and I'm going to go and face the king. And if I fail, I fail. But actually, she meets the God, um, she meets the king with success. She chose in the face of fear to stand on faith and on the promises of God that God has spoken before. We all go through difficulties in this life. And in fact, it promises in this that we will go through difficulties in this life. And I'm almost certain that sometimes when we face those difficulties, we ask that question of, is God even involved in this? Is he even here? We face a silent God. So what can we do when we face that, when we're going through difficulties and it feels like God's been silent? Well, if we go by Esther and this wonderful book that we have, then it's a choice to stand on the promises that God's already made and to choose faith instead of fear. 
In my life, I've definitely had lots of moments where it feels like I'm facing a pure silence from God. And actually, when there's silence, it also means everything else gets a little bit louder. So when God seems quiet, the chaos around us, social media is now added to that noise. We have other people speaking, and it's louder and louder and louder. And actually, we need to root ourselves back and anchor ourselves back into God in those moments and not be listening to the noise. We need to do this in lots of ways. You know, we, need to, we do need to be reading this daily. I try to read it as much as I can to root myself back in. I put Bible verses on my wall. I write them in my phone. Sometimes I've even known to write it on the back of my hand. And that's because it's these tr- that truth that when he appears not to be speaking, I know that he already has spoken. When I was at um, university in my first year, I suffered from anxiety and I would have panic attacks and they were so severe at times. It it genuinely felt like I was dying. They were so severe. It felt like I was drowning in my own fear and anxiety for what appeared to be no reason. And it was through my family and my friends and this that helped me sometimes just to grip back onto God. And it was through verses such as in Psalms when it's my soul rests in God alone. My salvation comes from him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Cast all anxiety on him because he cares for you. These were truth and promises I could cling to when it felt like I was drowning. I've been taught by my parents all my life to use this as a lamp for my feet. And it's like a map, it's a guide, it's our source of truth. So it means when we think God is silent, we know that he's not. We can also learn from Esther and keep praying, keep our eyes focused on God, keep asking for God to do something. Because what else we learn from Esther is he is at work in the background. Sometimes it's just hard to see, but we can trust that he is. There might be people here this morning who have always thought that God is silent that he never speaks. And he wants you to know that he has already spoken of you. There's so many words in here that he's speaking over you because this is alive. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a child of the living God. You are saved by grace by the blood of Jesus. You are built on a foundation that can never be shaken. If you ask and seek and knock, the door will be opened unto you. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And his will is always good, it's always pleasing, and it's always perfect. That's all in there, and that is living, and he's speaking it over you still. This might have been written thousands of years ago, but it's still alive today. And it still is the truth that can anchor us. So my encouragement, if you're facing something that looks a bit too big today, is I urge you to use this to anchor yourself back in. Press in, read this. And keep looking for God in the background because I know he's working all things for the good of those who love him.